New empirical evidence shows that women who eat last in Indian homes suffer worse mental health issues and this also affects their autonomy. New research finds intravenous iron sucrose reduces chronic anemia and is cost effective. Women's healthcare movement in India began way back in 1885, but it took 65 years for like-minded professionals to come together to establish the Federation of Obstetric and Gynecological Societies of India for the sole cause of women's health and education. How far has it succeeded in this mission? Dr. Usha Sareya, in the latest issue of JOGI, the official journal of the Federation of Obstetric and Gynecological Societies of India, takes us through the pioneering efforts of women and men who bore the mantle of women's health in India. From the hashtag Tribe Studios, I am Shino with your hashtag Women Resource Summary for Saturday, January 2, 2021. First up though, meals have a way of bringing families together. As food is laid out, everyone gathers around the table, conversation flows and families bond. But in many traditional homes in India, eating together is still rare. Men and children are fed first and only then can women sit down to eat. while anthropologists are yet to figure out when why where or how the practice began like every other symbol of patriarchy it is deeply entrenched in people's psyche this is making situations worse for women at home both mentally physically and adversely affecting their autonomy the 2011 India Human Development Survey had found that one in 5 women in Delhi and half of the women in Uttar Pradesh said they ate after men did. A phone survey by Social Attitudes Research for India asked the same question in 2016 and the results were no better in urban India. The particular survey found that about 3 in 10 women in Delhi and urban Rajasthan reported eating last. About 4 in 10 women in urban UP ate after men. Studies have shown that women who eat last suffer worse mental health issues. This was corroborated by a new policy paper published in November 2020 by Payal Hathi, Diane Coffey, Amit Torat and Nasser Khalid of the International Growth Center. The authors claim that women of all adult ages and of all levels of household expenditure face adverse effects of eating last which includes suffering mental stress and being underweight which in turn impacts their concentration decision making and even their mood the researchers had asked their respondents to use a scale of 0 to 6 as 6 indicating worse mental health outcomes as expected a number of women who ate last at home felt worse mentally pile coffee Torath and Khalid in January 2018 had authored another paper titled Explicit Prejudices for the journal Economic and Political Weekly where they had interviewed 3200 women in Delhi, Uttar Pradesh and Rajasthan where they reported that many women faced systematic prejudices in their families in Mumbai for instance 28% men claimed that women in their household eat last 
This practice of eating last according to the authors has its implications in India's high rates of undernutrition among women. The National Family Health Survey 2015-16 found that 23% of women in India were underweight, meaning they have body mass index scores of less than 18.5 kg per square meter. If a woman is underweight before pregnancy, her child is more likely to be born small and to die in the first month of life. Another report called Freedom from Hunger Project 2015-17 said that among the key findings of the initial study was that women and adolescent girls are affected the most during food scarcity. Not only do they eat less, but they also eat leftovers, which lack the nutrients required for physical growth and mental development. The way forward, however, is for the civil society and the government to focus efforts on calling attention to and discouraging the practice of eating last. Organized media campaigns should make people aware of widespread nature of the practice of women eating last and also highlights its negative health impacts. Health workers should be trained in how to identify when eating practices may be impacting women's well-being and be prepared to advise women and families about how this can be changed. To better understand women's mental health, researchers should collect more data on a wide range of measures of women's autonomy and social status in conjunction with measures of physical and mental health. Coming up. Does administering intravenous and sucrose concoction to anemic pregnant women a cost-effective option for treating severe anemia during pregnancy as compared to oral iron supplements? A new study by Indian Institute of Public Health has revealed that though intravenous and sucrose or ferric carboxymaltose seems to reduce the need for blood transfusion and is cost-effective, but on the flip side, it cannot prove its superiority over oral and supplements. More than half, which is 50.3% of all young pregnant mothers in 5.72 lakh households in India were found to be anemic according to the countrywide survey of the National Family Health Survey in 2015-16. Anemia occurs when the concentration of hemoglobin, cells that transport oxygen in blood, decreases. With oxygen not reaching all organs and tissues of the body, a person feels tired, weak and is more prone to infections. Anemia during pregnancy is a public health concern because it is strongly associated with maternal and perinatal morbidity and mortality. A man is considered anemic if his hemoglobin levels are less than 13 grams per deciliter. While in case of pregnant women, if hemoglobin levels go lower than 11 grams per deciliter are considered anemic. Nearly half of the cases of nutritional deficiency related anemia in India are caused by consuming too little iron diet. Inadequate intake of the vitamins B9 and B12 is also a frequent cause. 
Other causes include infections such as malaria, tuberculosis and blood disorders that affect red blood cells such as thalassemia. Anemia was the direct cause in 20% of maternal deaths in India. In fact, the risk of maternal mortality was 2.4 times higher in women with severe anemia. Today, even as 50% pregnant women are detected with anemia, just 30% pregnant women took iron and folic acid tablets for more than 100 days of pregnancy. With this grave situation at hand, public health experts at Indian Institute for Public Health, Sutapa Nyogi, Shomit Ray, Ranjana Singh, Nivedita Devasenapati, and Sanjay Shotway recently studied cost-effectiveness of intravenous iron sucrose treatment in moderate to severe anemic pregnant mothers against oral iron therapy. A total of 2018 pregnant women attending antenatal clinics were enrolled for the study across four government medical colleges. The women were in between 20 and 28 weeks of pregnancy. with hemoglobin levels ranging between as low as 5 to 8 grams per deciliter and those between 29 and 32 weeks with hemoglobin of 5 and 9 grams per deciliter they were injected with intravenous iron sucrose adverse events were reported by 4% of 961 women who took the intravenous iron sucrose while 5% of 982 women reported complications in the standard therapy group while minor side effects were reported by 16% of 737 women in the intravenous iron sucrose group versus 21% among the 721 women in the standard therapy group intravenous iron sucrose was found to be a little costly but more effective than the oral therapy for treatment of severe anemia the average cost of a safe delivery was calculated at rupees 57230 considering this threshold of india iv iron sucrose remained cost effective in 67% of the cases the experiment also revealed that for every 32 severely anemic pregnant women treated with iv iron sucrose one additional pregnant woman had a safe delivery the research findings come ahead of the latest results of phase 1 of the national family health survey released in november 2020 for 22 states and union territories the study when compared to 2015-16 national family health survey shows how india has seen a large setback with anemia prevalence rates anemia has jumped up across many groups which includes children pregnant and non-pregnant women and even men in many states with 71.4% of the total women surveyed suffering from the condition west bengal has the highest prevalence of anemia among women between 15 to 49 years in the country tribura has the second highest share of anemic women with 67.2% followed by assam with 65.9% among uts 92.8% of women between 15 and 49 years surveyed in ladakh have 
anemia followed by jammu and kashmir with 65.9% women suffering from the condition the survey findings also show that in all the states anemia is much higher among women compared to men among 10 states and two union territories have recorded an increase in anemia among men in the age group between 15 and 49 years these are assam goa gujarat karnataka kerala maharashtra mizoram tripura west bengal sikkim jammu and kashmir and ladakh the highest prevalence of anemia among men has been recorded in ladakh with 75.6% In case of children, the highest increase in anemia among children surveyed over the last 5 years was recorded in Assam by 32.7%, followed by Mizoram by 27.1%, Manipur by 18.9%, Jammu and Kashmir by 18.9%, and Gujarat 17.1%. The survey data has revealed this. While the burden of severe anemia has been becoming lighter anemia as such continues to be rampant in india the most well known reasons for this state include lack of political commitment poor coverage gaps in meeting the needs of the intended beneficiaries and the lack of greater awareness apart from these issues we also need policies and interventions that account for geography socio political gradients level of epidemiological transitions and other developmental indicators coming up the history of women's healthcare movement in india in its latest issue the journal of obstetrics and gynecology of india otherwise known as jogi which is also the oldest specialty journal in the country celebrated the history of federation of obstetric and gynecological societies of india today the society has a membership of 30000 obstetricians and gynecologists and its history is also deeply linked to women's healthcare movement in india which began way back in 1885 but it took 65 years for like minded professionals to come together to establish foxy The journal's editor-in-chief, Professor Suvarna Khadilkar, brings out a special edition in which she invites Dr. Usha Sareya, a leading gynecologist at Breach Candy Hospital and Safi Hospital in Mumbai, to examine how far the society has succeeded in achieving its goals and also proudly trace the struggles of women and doctors through the 19th century in women's health. right from the bombay based american businessman george kitrench who set up the medical women of india fund of 1883 to india's first health minister rajkumari amudkar dr sareya's article travels back in time to the late 19th century when women's health in india was in a sorry state the average lifespan of women was only 32 years as there was a high maternal and neonatal mortality diseases like anemia tuberculosis and malnutrition were rampant social customs were such that women were not in a position to demand any health care the british officialdom 
was also very sympathetic to the cause of women's health. Queen Victoria was reigning and was crowned as the Empress of India in 1876. She was deeply interested in India. It is said she never visited India, but in many ways, India came to her. Her trusted aide was Munshi Abdul Karim. He regaled her with many stories about India. Visiting dignitaries, Maharajas and Maharanis called on her. She welcomed them to her court and listened to their problems. She even learned Hindi at the age of 86 years so that she could communicate with those visiting her from India. They informed her about the poor condition of women's health. She promised to help and she actually did. She decided to send British women doctors to India. This was at a time when British women had just entered the medical profession against all odds and were struggling to establish themselves. Her sympathetic attitude changed the scenario. In the year 1845, the first medical college in India was started in Mumbai. The Grant Medical College, which offered a licentiate course in modern medicine. Similar medical colleges were opened in Madras and Calcutta. This college was not open to women for at least the first 18 years. It was only in 1885 that the gates were open to women. Five brave women entered the profession. They were not welcomed but were ridiculed as they entered their classrooms. At about the same time, women were admitted in Calcutta and Madras colleges also. But a few years earlier, in 1883, a pioneering American businessman, George Kittredge, working in Bombay, was deeply concerned with the poor status of health of women, set up the Medical Women of India Fund. Contributions came from all over the world. This fund set up a scholarship fund for best women graduate at MBBS examination of Bombay University. The student was honored with a Lady Ray Silver Medal because of a donation from Lady Ray, the wife of the governor of Bombay. By 1952, Students began to be honoured with a silver medal from the President of India, an incentive for women doctors to perform well and continue postgraduate studies. In 1883, Kitresh met Dr. Edith Peche in Paris in 1883 and she accepted his invitation. And by 1886, she took charge as the first superintendent of Kerma and Albless Hospital in Bombay a hospital run by the women doctors for women and children, started by a Parsi philanthropist. This is the same time when Dr. Anandibai Joshi became the first Indian woman doctor who went to the US and studied medicine. Queen Victoria sent a personal congratulatory message to Anandibai. She was appointed physician in charge of the female ward of Albert Edward Hospital in Kalapur. But then, tragedy struck Dr. Anandibai. She died young at the age of 21 because of tuberculosis. It was also the year when Dr. Khadavini Ganguly from Kolkata was among the first two female physicians from India. Also the first South Asian woman physician trained in Western medicine. But situations changed after Dr. Annette Benson 
the next British medical doctor who succeeded Dr. Peche as director and medical officer of the Kamar Hospital. She formed the Association of Medical Women in India in 1907 and made it possible for women doctors to serve in the military hospitals during the First World War. After Dr. Annette Benson, Dr. Jurusha Jurad became Kamar Hospital's first Indian superintendent from 1928 to 1947, a remarkable woman who was an inspiration to many women doctors in post-independent India. She formed the Maternity and Child Welfare Advisory Committee of Indian Council for Medical Research. Three years later, in 1950, Foxy was established as a national organization. The need for Zanana hospitals was no longer felt. Men and women doctors joined the organization on equal footing. The organization became a stepping stone for many brilliant obstetricians and gynecologists who made their mark nationally and internationally. Obstetrics benefited most by the development of blood transfusion, antibiotics and anesthesia which all came post World War II. This helped to bring down the maternal mortality rate. So that's it for this week. I'm Shaino, the host of Hashtag Women signing off and will be back with more research on women issues.